Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Can we give it up for the worship team, man? They were just yes. warring. <laughs> warring in worship. I felt like God was um, speaking this, and I want to say this um, specifically to the 9 a.m. service, but this applies to us. And um, I don't know whether you're a worship leader or a leader in the church or you know, sometimes we make these uh, general characterizations about 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock or just worship in general, and we'll say things like, well, it didn't really seem like people were really awake or engaged. And, and I came across this this week, and I thought it was really good, and I want to share it with you. Um, and it was this. It was that engagement is really internal, and participation is external. And so the engagement, the only thing that we're called to do as worshipers, as ministers, whether you're on the connectors or whether you're in area kids or whatever, you're called, to engage, you're called to engage the Spirit of God yourself. You're called to engage the Spirit of God. And that becomes so attractive to people that they move from just participating in service to actually learning how to engage God for themselves. Amen? So there is revelation there because it's not just all of us coming to just duplicate each other and, and say that, oh, well, that was great because everyone participated. Everyone clapped. If we just started clapping and everybody was clapping, like, wow, everyone did it. But oftentimes the Spirit of God is more interested in a room that, or a body or a family of people that are engaged with his Spirit more than he's, in, he's interested in everyone just participating, singing all the songs, raising all the hands, and, and getting emotionally filled. I think that there's both. Thank you for not falling, JP. <laughs> I think that there's both, but what the Spirit of God says to the church at Eastside this morning is this, hey, how you personally engage me, how you entertain me. In those moments, are you watching Michael? Are you watching JP? Are you watching Anna? Oh, that's so sweet how they love on the Lord. It's so beautiful. No, no, no. Are you watching that or are you engaging my spirit and, and joining them in, in, a, in a work that actually might become a vortex? and pull a lost person into the love of God because they actually realize that for once it's not about us. It's not about them. It's not about what you can consume, but it's more who can consume you. That God, you consume me. You do that. You, 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 be the, you, you be everything in my world. Don't let me just have a part of you in my world, but let my world revolve around you. I'm going to start this, and I'm not sure how it's going to go, but I feel like God told me to start the message out in this way. All of that, that was just kind of like me sitting over here, but I'm starting to realize this about the armor of God, that is, that more than the armor of God being pieces of things that I can pick up that you once used, but I'm really realizing that the armor of God is me realizing that you are more than anything else in my world. That God, it's not just the things that I pick up and call them the armor, but the armor is really me realizing that you are more than everything in my life. That it's illegal for me to call the sword of the word and, and know that that's your word. But then when you say shield of faith, see, shield of faith, now I bring my humanity into it. And I say, well, everyone can doubt. 
But God, you called me to the shield of faith in Ephesians 6, and you said that if we pick up the shield, wow. So if you are the shield, then does that mean that you can make my faith impenetrable? You can give me a faith that could run through a wall or move a mountain. You could do that because it's actually you. It's not a piece or something that you pick up, but it's actually you. So when I pick up this shield of faith and I actually understand like what you mean and you, you, you didn't mean a Roman soldier's face. God, Ephesians 6 is coming to life. Because no longer can I look at this through the lens of religion and say, oh, it was some cute fairy tale. When Paul was really using an analogy of what people in culture could get at that time of a Roman soldier, it wasn't you wearing a helmet like a football helmet of Panthers or Giants, but it was more or less you and your helmet as a crown, king. And so when he says, put on the helmet of righteousness, there's a difference between being saved and being born again. And they're not mutually the same. For if you say, I've been saved, but your life didn't change, you might want to reconsider. Because what God called you to was life being born again. Old, passed away, into new life. And Ephesians 6, this is what's wrecking my world, that God says this, hey, you've been looking at the armor of me in this way that you think that you're supposed to pick up pieces of me and pick pieces of things that are kind of a literary terms. But what it has done is made you so prideful. And so you think that because you're warring with sin, you're somehow being more of a warrior. The posture of the believer, the posture of a son, the posture of the one who God called is the one who says, I lay this down so that you and all of you can become my robe that I put on, that I put you on, God. I take me off and I put you on and now you go before me. You fight my battles. Let's be honest for a second. How many of us, if we've really gotten serious with sin and said, we're going to beat this thing, and we buffed our shit, you know how like some men do, sometimes we just puff up and we say, we're going to do this. How has that worked out for the church lately? Did you getting mad at your sin enough, did it ever, ever once pull you away from its power or its grip? Religion tells us that there are steps. And that if we just become a better version of ourselves, we can be successful. But God says that's idolatry. And that you and of yourself, you don't have what it takes to even win one battle, more or less the entire war that I've called you to. So if there's a battle inside of your mind that says, hey, you know what? Church hasn't made sense. It might be because we are stuck participating and never engaging. We participate in a church. We call it the place where we join, where we go on Sunday morning at 11, and we never engage the Spirit of God. God, help us. 
Help us. Help us be the ones that you call out, be the called out ones, not just the ones who we call ourselves Christians and, and we, we bear that name. But do we actually understand why it was so beautiful in the first place? The word Christian is so beautiful because there was no context that people could even call them. You couldn't call them Jews because all of them weren't Jews. You couldn't call them Gentiles because all of them weren't Gentiles. You could not put a singular name. And so what the world and religion tried to deem was say, well, we'll call them Christians. And now we wear that as a badge when we forgot our true name, son, daughter. So if you could implore with me for a second, please, 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 please drop what religion taught you about listening to me as a preacher and just hear me as a brother and friend. Drop Christianity. Drop, the, drop Christianity as you know it. Listen to what I'm saying. And pick up the identity that Christ died for. If K-love is in Christianity, if there's a culture of Christianity that that allows us to buy into that, and this is what happened, and, and I, I get it, maybe that was the most revelation that anyone ever got to that point, was how about we just create a culture for Christians and make them feel safe in the suburbs and, 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 and get churches around their, their ideologies, and if they don't see eye to eye, then let's just separate them by, by, by uh, uh, what is that? Oh yeah, denomination, let's, let's separate them. But when we understand the Greek word of accuser, we understand that, that Satan's name is the accuser of the brethren, and the word accuser literally all the way translated back to the Greek means to separate or to categorize. So I wonder why the church doesn't look powerful. Because we make so many, so many excuses for why the church of the Bible can't be the church of today. And it's because somewhere we partner with the lie that the helmet of our religion is better than the helmet of his righteousness. Because it is illegal, it is illegal for the righteousness of religion, the false sense of righteousness, to partner with the righteousness of God to actually bring transformation. So what happens is we put on the helmet of our own religion and call it righteousness, and we end up in self-righteousness. And we are useless. Could it be that the devil was more about getting us separated and into more self-centered minds and thinking so we're more preference-driven than presence-driven? And even with our presence-driven self, we have a sense of what it looks like in, in, in charismatic churches versus Baptist churches versus this church versus that. And we're not seek, seeking for oneness or unity. We're seeking for it to be about unity. <laughs> and he... He seeks for us to make it about him. God, help us, help us, help us in some ways. And, and, and I know I'm going in and out of this monologue of some type of poetry, whatever. I don't know what it is, but God woke me up this morning and said, hey, three points. And you see those three points that you got ready for today, Sunday? I don't want to use those. I want to I talk from the same thing. But why do you approach me in the lens of what you just think you have to? 
for the Lord said to me this morning in my bathroom, he just says, he says, I've created you to be unique. I've given you a voice to be unique. So let me, let me do that. I wonder if you had space to really be who you were created to be, would you actually be it? Or would that be so intimidating because you've never actually seen yourself outside of the walls of other people's expectations? From a young age, were you always so concerned with what your parents were saying and their affirmation? And this is what it is. What kills revival in your heart and what kills a rest, a restorative work in your heart from the Holy Spirit is an attempt to constantly please and approve man. Because every time God said, listen, your friends, your family, your coworkers, whoever it is, will always convince you that, hey, you know what? Just use common sense. But I can never point to the Bible where God did anything common that was, that was actually significant. I can never see that he did anything that made common sense. And so if your Christianity, if your view of God, if your entire walk with the Lord is based around things that make sense, I challenged it this morning because God wants to shake those things off of us. We can't be effective if we're sitting here just settling for what other Christians do, what other people do. God says, put on the armor of God. I think when we read that verse in, in Ephesians 6, verse 10, I think we need to actually question, do we believe that it's actually God or are we, are we just saying, oh, put on the armor of God, kind of flippantly, kind of just throw out the window, like kind of like we've heard it our whole life, kind of like, and it's so watered down that it has no power, like it's so that type of thing. He says, put on the armor of God, and if we don't tremble, we've gotten too common We read, put on the armor of God, and we're thinking, put on the armor of church, and they're two very different things. You cannot put on the culture of church and call it the culture of God. There are two different things that that happen competing. I want to talk to somebody who felt like you got a dream from God. Most Christians would say they have. Most people in ministry would say they have. So now let me hit you with this. Could it be this? Yes, that God speaks to us authentically when we're young about something he wants us to do. And it might look like, you, you know how many times I hear people who are up and coming leaders in the church or preachers or, or, or different ministers or, you know, youth interns all over the county, all over the place that are just doing things, incredible things for God. They say, God showed me this. He showed me a big room. He showed me a stadium. He showed me a city being reached for him. And I'm like, OK, that's cool. But where it takes root in your heart is dangerous. Like, it can be a blessing or a curse. Listen to what I'm saying, because could it be that that same moment of showing the same wonder could be what the devil also could manipulate. Jesus has shown kingdoms that he's shown power. He's shown authority. He's shown promotion. He's shown all the things that would seemingly make his life better. But he's shown to it by Satan. And could it be the moment you begin to to desire that thing more than you desire God? And listen to me, they're not mutual, they're not the same in, in this point. You cannot pursue that thing 100% and pursue God 100%. You just can't do it. You have to pursue God or the thing. Because he says this in his word he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added. He didn't say seek the things, and then the kingdom will be added. He says, Seek 
ye first, the kingdom of God. Seek me first. Seek him. Seek God. Don't seek your version of God. And if we're honest, some of us have made gods in our life that are not the God of the Bible. They're the God of our own preference. They're the God of our, our own desires. And we say, oh, well, it's okay because we're serving God. We're either serving God and he's adding things or we're serving things, expecting God to add him. And that happens in our church, that happens. We can't just pick on the church at large because I love the church. I love the worldwide church. I love, uh, yes, we, yes, the, the church has issues, the church, because why? There's people. Anytime you're dealing with people, you're going to deal with poop. That's, that's just one of the natural things. It's just, that's just what it is. You don't believe me? Deal with a baby or like a elderly, elderly person. You're going to deal. <laughs> that's just going to be what it is. But I think that we've settled for an inferior version of what God has called us to. And we're, we're frustrated that we don't see our life actually. Think about this. How many of you were actually excited for real to get here? Or how many of you were motivated by the routine of your schedule that you know that I'm obligated to be at church at Sunday morning at nine o'clock? And if we take an honest assessment for a second this morning to be able to say, hey, do I actually get excited for the things of God in my life? Or have when I say the take on the armor of God, has it become so mundane, so regular, so old? This is why we get these new movements of, of church planners and all these you know cool church trends and stuff, and they're like, oh, we're doing something new. But if it's not based off of a revelation from God alone, it's nothing new. It's just you putting lipstick on some idea of a pig and calling it new. Oh, we don't like the traditional church, so we're going to just start doing all these modern, fancy churches. Well, guess what? Now, five, ten years later, everybody's doing it. So what is that now? Tradition. That makes sense, right? But take on the armor of God. So what God wants to motivate in us is life-changing. It's transforming. There are those of you in this room right now who will sit here and have been sitting in your seat that you've been sitting in for more than six months, saying that you're just coming to a place that's finally a good place, and you're just, you're, you're just receiving, and you're never being sent. You're never working. You're never serving. It's antichrist. It's antichrist. It's the spirit of religion trying to operate in a spirit that looks like, oh, I'm just trying to heal. You know that Jesus used Rahab, the prostitute. It didn't say that she just became just, you know, like pure lady before before the spirit of God uses her. No, he uses her as her. The prostitute he used. She might have had a client that day, might have had a schedule one the next day. I don't know. But he used her right there. What's our excuse? What? Is it because religion lulls us to sleep? And we, and we feel comfortable in that because, see, we, we can't be effective when, when we're just like, oh, well, you know, I'm saved and I hear good sermons from time to time. I would serve, but that's for somebody else. You know, I don't serve my time. 
but you're struggling. Could it be this? I think in, in some regards, why we struggle with the armor of God is because we have more confidence in, the, in, in our faith in the fall of man than we have confidence in God who is the creator God. The Bible started with, in the beginning, God created. He is the creator before Adam ever came. We, at some point, we have to stop making excuses for our brokenness. And we either believe that we're putting him on and that in him he makes us impenetrable or we keep <laughs> believing the lie. I love what Michael said. We agree with heaven. When we don't agree with heaven, there is, there is, there is no gray area. We're either agreeing with heaven or we're agreeing with hell. <laughs> Real place, capital H. <laughs> hell. And its forces. And some of us have agreed with hell for so long. Y'all, there's areas of my life currently right now that I'm not agreeing fully with heaven. So that means I'm agreeing with some part of hell in my life. Me, not somebody else, me, JP, right now. That doesn't disqualify God from speaking through me or to me or to you right now. What it does is, is it makes me more aware of my condition that I need him. I need him. I need him to breathe. And if we actually want to be a church that's about anything other than just filling up a new building and some new spaces, y'all, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want that. What? Did just Our chief accomplishment is that we were able to raise funds and build a building that this community knows nothing about. What if our chief accomplishment is actually to get the heart for a community and that we are invaluable, invaluable to the community because we're actually here? Yes. Ephesians 6. Hopefully you read this differently now that I've shared with you my heart. Starting in verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his, what? Might. Next verse. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I want to pause there for a second. I hope that we can see that the thing that we're, we're trying to say is the problem in our life. Can we, ask, can we actually ask God, God, is that the problem? If, if we're real, some of us are saying that our spouse is the problem. But can we ask God that in, 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 in real honesty? God, is my spouse the problem or is there a spiritual principality that is trying to take root in my life? And, and I'm actually agreeing with hell more than I'm agreeing with you. Can we stop reading the Bible as if it doesn't have power? I took the time because that's my heart this morning is for us not to just look at text again and say, oh, well, the full armor of God. And we heard a Sunday school lesson about it. You know, a deacon sometime, he might have preached about it a little bit. But no, 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 no. The full armor of God. I'm telling you what this revelation is doing in my heart. Well, the revelation of, of that, that when I take on God's nature, when I take on his first nature, that he, the same nature that he created Adam with. 
When I take that on, I'm no longer scared of what religion told me to be scared of. Listen to me. I have been hurt by people more than anybody have been hurt by people, more than some have been hurt by people in the church. Had every other reason, had legitimate reasons to be fearful for the rest of my life of people. But what God says is this, is when he says, hey, when you take on my nature, when you put on the full armor of me, you are empowered by me to run. It don't matter how many arrows are coming your way. If you're empowered by me, if my armor is actually on you. This is why I get concerned for some of us who are, 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 are serving an inferior version of what Christ wants us to do right now. If it's only podcasts and just inspirational stuff, and that's your Christianity, y'all, it's inferior. God says put on the whole armor of God. When you put on the whole armor of God, you're less, like, you're less about trying to fit in to societal norms. And it's more about what he's saying. God, what are you saying? What do you want? What, what, what is it about what you're saying to me? What, what do you want to do there? But we wrestle not against our flesh. We wrestle not against the blood. I, I don't wrestle against the person that looks like they hate me. I wrestle against the spirit that's at work in them, trying to get me to agree with them, even if it's by combating them. Listen, some spirits are there to agitate. And even if you don't feel, you don't look like you're agreeing with them. But when you become, when you try to defend yourself, you begin to agree with them. I wonder if we could get them uh, free off of that. That there's somebody who's been a victim for 10 years because you keep seeing everyone through the lens of them trying to hurt you and you're defending yourself, your character, your nature. Guess what? I cannot defend myself. I cannot defend my character. I cannot defend my nature. I can only serve an inferior God. I can only only serve a superior God who makes all the things that are actually inferior fall off. No weapon that is formed Type, what type of armor you got to be wearing for nothing to prosper? It's not your mind. It's not some best-selling book that Oprah held near to her heart and said, hey, get this book on armor. No, it is the impenetrable armor of God that hides us, that pulls us into himself and calls us to him and says, hey, you know what? I called you and I told you to put on all my armor. So in me, I'm going to deliver you from hating people. I'm sorry. Hating the thought that you've got to love people through a situation, through something. You've actually got to love them. God, how do you love them? And how do you love them while they hurt me? It's because he says this about himself. That if we put on his whole armor, it's not just religion. It is not just some thing to talk about. It is not just something, some Christian book club. It actually has power. And I actually believe now that when I don't read these words through the lens of religion, I actually believe that he will actually take his breastplate of righteousness and it will come over me and his, his belt of truth will wrap around me and it will be as a rope. 
to stand before someone who even might accuse me and he will still keep my heart safe because it's the impenetrable love of God that guards, that keeps. We have to stop making excuses for why we think God didn't do. And we have to start looking at ourselves and saying, what armor are we putting on? Because if we put our cell phone, we can only expect the rewards and the value that our self can bring. If you just put on a better version of you, you're only going to be you're only going to be as good as what you can defend. But when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, the whole armor of God, you're wondering why there is no peace in your life. But see, his message, when you wrap him onto you, it brings a power and, and, and it empowers you to be able to walk in peace. It says then, and put on the preparation. Your feet are shod with a preparation of peace. There is a peace that comes with actually putting him on. But some of us have to be committed to wearing him and not just trying him on in the fitting room. There's a fitting room of Sunday morning and it feels good. It even looks good to sway around in a mirror and, and say, wow, this is what I could be with you. But some of us make the decision to check that door and to hang it back up and to say, I'll, I'll put it back on next Sunday morning. I'll put it back on at my small group. I'll put it back on when I'm trying to talk to people about the Lord. But God says, put on the whole armor of God. I wish I would have understood that as a teenager. I wish I would have understood that before serially just going through situations and taking advantage of the grace of God. That I could repent and everything will be just fine. Jesus recognized when the armor of God was off of him. And he says, Father, why, why have you forsaken me? He recognized it because he was sensitive to the fact. And guess what? Could it be that Jesus was, Jesus was able to perform the miracles that he performed, live the life that he lived, because he never agreed with the lie of the Adam nature? He always agreed with that God was a creative God. That the nature of God was his nature. The nature of God was his nature. Do you realize that God wiped out an entire world for a man and saved him and his family and animals? Noah. So that he could reset the whole trajectory. <laughs> if he'll do that, then do you know how God wars with your enemies? He wipes out whole nations. That's how he wars. Don't think that you having protected eyes, covenant eyes on your computer is how you're warring. That's a method for you guys to not, you know, slip up or do all those things. But any part of any part of anything we do for God that makes us feel like we're more better because we are warring. 
It's not his armor. Paul says this as I close. Verse 14. It says, stand therefore. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. That's that belt I was just talking about. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Listen, that has to be actually God. You can't have the shield of your philosophy. It is the shield of faith. He embodies himself as the shield. He not only is the robe, but he is the defense. You don't have a problem convincing most modern day Christians that the sword sword is actually the word of God. But you have a problem convincing them that all these other pieces are not just alliteration. It's like, oh, well, even in Roman times, the shield had spikes on it, so it can be defensive too. No, 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 no. Paul is talking in an analogy. He's saying, at like this, like what in culture can you relate it to? Okay, let me use a Roman soldier. But God, in his goodness, becomes a shield. He, prepare, he, he puts on the armor for our protection. He puts on the crown for us to actually think in righteousness. And then he equips us with his word. We're not powerful. We're not powerful at all. But the only thing that we have offensively is the word of God. The only thing that, will, is, that, is, that is sharp enough to cut any, any, anything that will reach into the, 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 the depths of your consciousness and actually rightfully divide your thoughts is the word of God. Stop asking what is God saying as begin to read the word of God and trust it in your heart because that will begin to rightfully divide even if you feel like you're incompetent with the word of God. You begin to read and it has wonder working power to begin to separate and divide what is a lie and what is truth. Next verse. And take this, the helmet of salvation. I want to ask some of you today, here, if you raise your hand at some arena or some church building or some youth group, and you said you wanted to be saved, but you've never renewed your mind. You never actually said, hey, I want, I want to be born again. I implore of you today, make this today. Make this your day. Make this the day where you said, you know what? I've, I thought I was good. I re- <laughs> really, I thought that I understood, but I only understood what someone had told me. And that now I know that my hand wasn't not an indication of my head or my heart. Most people can raise a hand. I can impel this room by a series of questions to eventually get this entire room to raise their hand. But what I can't do is move in the heart of a man and in his head to renew his mind. Only thing I can do 
is engage the Holy Spirit in my life enough for you to actually want the power of God, the presence of God. And then you have to be able to say, God, I'm willing to put you on. I'm willing to put your whole armor on. And I'm willing to take your helmet, as Paul says, really your crown that you place on me, your protection, your majesty, and rid myself of how I've always seen myself to take on what you say about me, what you see in me. I'll leave that there because I just don't want to address this as casual. There are people that die and go to hell all the time that sat in churches every Sunday. And for me, y'all, like, it's just not that important that we have the best systems if everyone is not in incredible relationship with Jesus. It's not important that we look good everywhere, that we do ministry well, that we have a reputation about ourselves of being good, but we're not. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Next verse. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly and ought to, um, as I ought to speak. I'm just going to ask you guys this. As, as our church, as the church that me and Ashley submit ourselves to and come to and we love and it's our church family. I need that type of church praying for us. I need that type of church that we're just a part of. That's, that's the type of church. That's the type of people. Because when Paul says there, and I think it's 19, Kim, if you can show that. He says in verse 19, But he's basically talking about the, yes, and for, and for me, the utterance that may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly. I just want to stay there. Just keep that on the screen. I may open my mouth boldly to make known what is the mystery of the gospel. I tell you just personally from, from me, I'm called to make known the mystery of the gospel. Yes. I am called to do that. You're called to, I, I know that this part of the message of Jesus, this part of the message of the Apostle Paul is something that me personally, I need a church praying for me for that. I need a church walking in this understanding and revelation of what the armor of God is so that we actually can war and win in advance. Because what is the mystery of God? That the love of God was not only for the Jew, but it was also for the Gentile. Not only for the slave, but it was also for the free. The love of God is no longer for a small group of people, but it's for everybody, for every man, color, creed, age, whatever. And that's a message right now that party lines can't get in the way of. 
But if we believe the accuser of the brethren, we'll let party lines separate that too. I'm asking you this morning, consider what you're putting on. And specifically, please pray for us. Pray for me and Ashley, because this, this is what we need. I've, 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 I wore differently this week. It wasn't like I just had a ton of just defeats. I wore because I was carrying God's heart for people in the marketplace, and it was just different. It was weird. Not weird, but it was just different. But I found myself just walking amongst people in the marketplace and having a, a burden for them, more so than what we get sometimes when we just have a clean, uh, clean ecosystem or just a, a uh, what do you call that, like a sealed tight kind of room. And sometimes that's how we are in ministry. We put only ministers around us. We work in a church. We do that. And it's a very clean atmosphere, kind of. But it's false clean. Because the world is still the world. And if we're not empowering you there, if we're not engaging culture there, what good is it for us just to win people here? So I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me this week. I need you to pray for us continually. But pray for our church, that all of us begin to walk into a revelation of what God created in the beginning and not just our fallen state of man. Wrote this song, Wash Over Me. And just the chorus is, come like the wind, come like the wave, come like the ocean and wash over me. And I think that is a, a great tie-in to what Cheryl was saying as far as about the waves. Because God has really been speaking to me in this season of life about him just constantly doing that. And if we look at the story of Noah, do you know that there was no rain Rain had never existed. God tells Noah to build an ark, and he says, okay, what body of water do you want me to go to? No, right there, up there. What? Yeah, because there's going to be a flood. What's a flood? Can you imagine this conversation with God? <laughs> You're calling me to something. It doesn't exist yet. What? What's that? Well, because there's going to be rain. What's rain? I'm serious. There's something that God wants to speak to you that does not yet exist. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, and God's going to speak it to your heart. And that's why Michael said earlier, the Spirit of God was on him on that and said, hey, this is, a, this is anointed time for your words. So God, come like the wind. Come like the rain. Come like the ocean. Just wash over us. Wash over us so much, God, that we have... The, we, we have the smell of the ocean wherever we go so that even if we wander into a dark place, we don't fit in there because we smell like the ocean. Even if we wander someplace that, that is far into the ocean, we don't fit in there because we smell like the ocean. We have the sediments of what the ocean has left behind, what the love of God is. God, help us today, Lord God. We just pray this and we pray this in. God, I pray, Lord God, for believers, Lord God, and of every stage of every walk of life. This morning, God, help us put you on. God, help us put your full armor on. God, we, long are the days gone of ministers not being able to, to minister from a real place, Lord God. We pray, Lord, an anointing here, God, over this house, Lord God, for people to be able to open their mouths, Lord God, from the place of where they are, where you call us to, Lord God, where you call us from. 
and speak and boldly proclaim what is your mystery, God. To every generation, to every nation, God, we pray an anointing on our words. We pray an anointing on our time. We just pray, Lord God, that, Lord, we would be delivered from the opinions of men, Lord God, and we would just stand before you, God, and present you in the way that you seek to be presented. Help us, God. Help us shed religion this morning. And come alive to a new revelation of what relationship truly is. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.